Father, Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to come and gather together to exalt your name. God, to sing glory to your name. God, to be reminded of your gospel where there is no other way but you. God, that, and as we follow you, God, it's not our will, but it's your will. What you have for us is better than anything that we could think of. God, your plans are perfect. Your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God, as we submit ourselves under the authority of your word this morning, God, use your word as you always do. God, that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, penetrating past bone and marrow to the soul and spirit. As a spirit, we ask you that you would convict us. God, that you would move in us. God, that you would take away blindness. God, that we might see you for who you are. God, the treasure that you are, the greatest treasure. So Lord, be with us this morning as we dive into your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And I wanna invite you, before you have a seat, if you need to scooch into the center of the aisle, we have a couple extra seats on the outside for people. Uh, that would be great. It's getting nice and tight, you know, shoulder to shoulder. It's not too hot in here quite yet. Uh, however, I have already changed shirts, so you know, I, I've already been hot. So, um, but hey, good morning. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Cole Forrest. I get to serve on staff here at Cross as a student minister. And so as always, it is my greatest joy to be able to open God's word with you uh, on Sundays. I get to do that every week with our student ministry. And now we get to do it on Sunday morning. And so I wanna invite you to go ahead and turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 19, where Ron just read from. Uh, we're gonna be looking at verses 16 through 30 this morning. Uh, and just to go off, hey, happy Palm Sunday. Jesus is going into Jerusalem now, uh, awaiting the, the rest of Holy Week he would endure, uh, going to the cross and then his resurrection that we'll celebrate next Sunday. Uh, but with that, we're still gonna be jumping right back into our Follow Me series. It's where we've been at over the last month or so. Uh, and so we are excited to get again to see what does it mean to follow Jesus? Taylor's laid it out very clearly for us over the last month or so that salvation, while it is free, discipleship is costly. That we have been saved to then follow Jesus and surrender our lives to him. And so this morning, we're gonna be looking at what does it mean to surrender our treasure? And just so you know, this isn't a sermon on tithing, so you can take a breath, okay? But what we are gonna do is see that Jesus must be our truest and greatest treasure this morning. And so when I think about surrendering our treasure, it makes me think of church planting, okay? We're, we're, we are a church plant about to enter into our new facility, hopefully Lord willing in the next couple of weeks or so. Uh, but man, when you do church planting, you see that there is great sacrifice that takes place of our time, of our talent and of our treasure. And it makes me think of when I was doing, just out of college doing residency at a church plant. Uh, and, and I remember us sending out new churches left and right. And so as I was kind of moving out of that seat and into a new one, I had a couple of friends who were a couple of years younger than me that were just graduating college. And while they had degrees in different things like marketing or uh, sports media, uh, man, they decided that they were going to follow Jesus and go help plant a church in Orlando, Florida. Family was close by in Greensboro, jobs waiting for them that like they could actually take the job that they did a degree for and a church family that loved them and cared for them. And they said, forsake it all. I'm gonna follow Jesus and help make Jesus' name known in Orlando. 
One of those was a, a college student, my friend named Parker. Uh, he had a, a degree in sports entertainment. And my man said, I'm not gonna find a job in that. I'm gonna go work at Enterprise for the glory of God, not to be a pastor, not to be a worship leader, but to hold doors and welcome people into a church that might hear the gospel. Man, God has called us to surrender. Surrender is sacrifice. And that's what we're gonna see this morning as our main idea uh, in our text is that surrendering to Jesus's call to follow him will mean great sacrifice for those that follow. Get that. If you follow Jesus, then you will sacrifice greatly. If you do not sacrifice greatly, then you're not actually following Jesus. And so surrendering to Jesus' call to follow him will mean great sacrifice for those that follow. So let's jump right into our text this morning in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22. And behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, everybody say perfect. If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So we open up this passage to, if you've grown up in church, a passage you've probably heard thousands of times. So my plea to you this morning is don't sit back and, and put on the headphones and just coast through our time in the word this morning. The same truth that was true when you heard it the first time is the same truth that is true right here, right now. God's word is here for you today. And so as we open his word and we read it and we mull through it, man, glean from the word, not from me, glean from the word, what he has for you this morning. And so this young man, he comes and he asks Jesus this one question. He says, what good deed must I do? What good deed could I do to inherit eternal life? That leads us to our first point this morning. And that's that Jesus' call is to surrender, not performance. Jesus' call is to surrender, not performance. And the first thing that we're called to surrender is our actual performance that we would surrender, that I would surrender my performance. Let's make it personal, not just performance for everybody, performance for me. So verses 16 through 20 is where we're gonna land at for that. So let's read that again in verse chapter 19. And behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? And so a young man comes up to Jesus and asks him the right question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' first response is not just to answer the question, but to rather say, reflect on the one who is good. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, there's only one who is good. And that is God. 
in his saying that there is one who is good makes reference to the fact that no one, no man, no person would ever be able to achieve eternal life on their own because of sin. We are, none of us are actually good in and of ourselves. Jesus tells the man that to enter eternal life that he must keep the commandments, namely the 10. But this man being pious and really wants to have a little bit more specifics of Jesus, like, what do I need to do? I've got this stuff, but tell me what's up. He says, which ones? Jesus begins to list a part of the commandments that deal with how we treat our neighbor, implying that the heart changes is now going to impact how we relate to other people. This means that we get peace with God. We can't hold it and harbor it only for ourselves, but it drives us to have that same type of peace and make it known to other people. It's not just for ourselves. You see, this man had to have been an arrogant man. He had to have been a one who said, I can do it on my own. He states that he has kept the law to perfection. This dude thinks he's the man. If you've seen the meme, you are not the man. See, in the verses just before this though, uh, Jesus' references to this reality, these kids are coming to him. Little children are coming to him. The disciples wanna shoo them away, but he says, let them come. So that way I can lay hands and pray up for them. Now, in the very next moment, you've got this pious man coming to Jesus saying, what can I do to earn my way in? What can I do to make it happen? You've got kids coming saying, hey, I, I need you, I want you. And then you've got this guy saying, hey, show me the way, not acknowledging that he's actually the way. See, it's easy for us to see and think that we can do it on our own. Much like the man in this story, we can misplace our attitudes towards finding eternal life. Dallas Willard in his book, The Great Omission writes this, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, effort is an action. See, when earning is our attitude, we begin to believe things like, I deserve this. This belongs to me. It's mine, you can't have it. I worked hard for this, you can't take it from me. We chain hold it, hold it tight and say, this is mine, you can't touch it. It's a reminder almost like we're the little seagulls from Finding Nemo, mine, 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 mine. Or even like the toddler who like plays with one toy, moves to the other one, sees another kid come over to grab this one and is like, nah, that's mine too. Like we, we hold on to it. We're like, not just like proud of like having the thing, like we're proud just to like, it's mine. Like that's the attitude, but this is, we have to be clear here. This is not a gospel attitude. To sit here and hold and say, this is mine, I've got it, I've worked hard, this is all for me. This is not a gospel attitude. You see, our efforts to walk in obedience to God is not a means by which we earn anything. It is rather from salvation that we work, not working for our salvation. That's what Jesus is pointing to here in this story. The young man is just a pious man who desires to do something that Jesus has already prescribed for how do you enter into the kingdom through faith, not through your work. It's always been that way. You see, Paul makes this very clear in Philippians chapter three. I wanna invite you to turn over in your Bible to Philippians chapter three. We're gonna read through verses three through 11. So it's a big chunk, so that's why I want you to flip there. Our students just got this. We, we did a, a weekend retreat and we just preached through this passage just a few weeks ago. Uh, but I think it's very clear that Paul makes the point that it's not about what you do, but it's about what Jesus has done, okay? So Philippians chapter three, verses three through 11. Paul writes, for we are the circumcision. This is circumcision meaning that we are Christians. 
We are followers of Jesus. He's not just saying we're circumcision like we're the Jewish people, okay? He's writing to the Philippian church, Gentile believers who are now being pushed on by Judaizers, false teachers to say, hey, you have to be circumcised and do all the law and then have faith in Jesus and now you can be saved, okay? False gospel, just let's make that clear, okay? It's not about your doing, it's about what's been done. So for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence. Everybody say no confidence. Put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for, for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Pause. Paul was saying, people are telling you to do these good things. These good things, I've surpassed them. I've held them up to a T. That's what he's about to show us here. But we need to make this clear. He's saying, hey, I've lived it, it ain't for you, all right? So here we go. Verse five, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Everybody say loss. I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. To say that lightly, that's basically saying crap, dung, okay? I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by his any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Paul knows I've done all the good I can do. I was the best of the best. People saw me in high esteem. My parents did things right. I was circumcised in the right time from that heritage, but then also too, I persecuted the church. I wanted Christians dead because I believed the law was the way. Paul says, that ain't it. Faith in Jesus was his reward. Faith in Christ was his treasure. See, this is where we need to see that encountering Jesus is going to change our lives. When we realize that our best efforts to earn a right standing with God are simply meaningless. We can't do it. We see in this, we surrender our resume. That's how we talked about it with our students. Our resume, the good long list of things that we think that we do to make ourselves present before God is meaningless. We surrender our resume. We surrender our performance because we cannot perform to outdo the sin that we have committed. We cannot do it. And Jesus said it plainly to the man. There is only one who is good. And it isn't you. And it isn't me. It's God himself. It's Jesus. God incarnate in the flesh. who lived a perfect life free from sin. The very sin that separated you and me from God. Created this great chasm that we could never cross. Both in Adam and in our own participation. We have separated ourselves from God. But God in his love for us would step into his creation, Jesus of Nazareth, the incarnation, fully God, fully man. He would live a perfect life 
free from sin. And not only would he deserve crown and riches and glory, but he would not just receive that. Rather, he would receive beatings and spitting, being spat upon and being crucified to a cross. He gladly took it for what he was receiving. He was dying in your place and in my place. There's only one that is good, only one that could pay the true penalty for our sin. And it wasn't you and it wasn't me, it was Jesus. His perfection made the way. So when Jesus says there's only one that is good, y'all, we have to look to the gospel. We have to look to the gospel to see that Jesus is the one. It is Jesus in my place where you and I should have died, he died there. You see, Jesus' call isn't to keep trying and working to earn your eternal life. Jesus' call is to surrender your performance and place our faith in his perfect performance. See, none of us will ever be the best, y'all. We will fail and fail and fail, and we must stop trying to perform. Stop trying to make it on our own and surrender our earning attitude. But Jesus isn't simply telling us to surrender our performance. That's one piece of the puzzle. Let's look now at verses 21 and 22 to see what else does Jesus call us to surrender? So verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, everybody say perfect. If you would be perfect, this guy thinks that he is the man. And Jesus is already saying, you ain't. Like if you wanna be perfect, here you go. If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, here's these words, follow me. And when the young man had heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. The second thing Jesus calls, Jesus calls us to surrender is our treasure. Surrender my treasure. It's personal. It's not just corporate. It's personal. I must surrender my treasure. Jesus tells him the one thing that he lacks, the one thing that he lacks is that he trusts in his possessions more than God. He trusts in what he has. You see, here in America, we can perhaps be the most comfortable people in all the world. We have more luxuries than we can count. I mean, let's be real. We live here in Beaufort and we sit in rooms with air condition all the time. I'm a guy who is easily convinced that air condition is a need. If you know me, you know that I wore a different shirt for first service because I sweat, okay? But that's, that's where we're at here. But it gets capital H-O-T in the summer here in Beaufort. So we would say, hey, I need the AC. Y'all, we don't need it. That's a luxury, okay? We have running water, clean water, and bathrooms. Y'all, there's places in the world where they don't have that. But yeah, guess what? They are still surviving, but they're also following Jesus amidst not having luxurious lives. And so like we live in this world of comfort and we say, oh man, things are hard. It's like, y'all, life ain't even started to get hard yet. Like we are so blinded by our comfort that we fail to see that God has done such a big work and he wants to do a work in us, but we are unwilling to say yes to him because we say we have all this stuff and I find my worth and my value in my stuff. Whether we decide to see it or not, y'all, we have to be real. We have to come to this realization that our stuff is nothing. Our stuff is not our treasure. But here in this point, in this passage, we see that this rich young man finds his treasure in those things. He has a misplaced confidence. He puts it in the things that he has. I even thought about it this past week, like this is gonna be like, okay, we go from like having a bunch of stuff, but now let's go to like, okay, the day to day, okay, for a moment. This week, have a headache. Easy thing to do. Go to the cabinet, pull out my ibuprofen. It struck me. Cole, you just care about getting that medicine real quick. You didn't even ask me for help. 
Like you didn't even ask me to, to take the, the headache away. You just said, hey, I have a, a way to get rid of it, so let me do it. And I'm not saying God doesn't work through medicine. Praise God, y'all. Y'all know I had a big surgery in December. I'm all about the medicine. But y'all, like when we put our confidence in everything else but God, we have missed the mark. We have missed and misplaced our trust and our confidence. Even in a minuscule thing such as, hey, I need ibuprofen for my headache, y'all. Acknowledge that we need the Lord. Acknowledge that we need his power. Jesus calls this man to get rid of the thing that he holds on to the most. You see, Jesus knew that this man had many, many possessions and that his dependence wasn't actually on, he's asking Jesus, hey, what can I do? He's not actually asking like, hey, with my hands, what can I figure out to do? He's basically saying, hey, like I have all this stuff. Now let me figure out how I can offer it up. That way I can make my way in. And Jesus says, I know you got all this stuff. Go get rid of it. Give it to the poor. You say that you have lived up to this standard of loving your neighbor. Let's see if it, you really do love your neighbor. Give it all away. See, God was calling him to reveal the idol of his heart, to get rid of it, to do away with the very thing that held his affections more than Jesus did. See, Taylor said it last week very, very well. Jesus must be our first love. We must love Jesus more than anything. And this man certainly loved his possessions more than he loved God. One thing to take note of here in this part of the text is that Jesus wasn't asking for the man's willingness to go sell his possessions. He wasn't asking, are you willing? Jesus said, go and sell it. He commanded his obedience of what he asked for him. And for this young man, it was to surrender the treasure of his life, his wealth. The man option, man's option was to exchange this material wealth that he had for the true treasure of Jesus. And what we see here is this part of the text is that this man did not see Jesus as his treasure, but rather the things that he had were his treasure. Is this not the same call for us today? Not that we have to be poor, not that we have to not have anything to follow Jesus, but rather will we give it up? One thing uh, to make sure that we see here, just as we saw in that Isaiah passage that Grayson read just a few minutes ago, it's not willingness or obedience, it's willingness and obedience. It's not our willingness, but our obedience that really shows the value. And so I've been listening to a book. Uh, yeah, you can listen to books if you didn't know that now. Uh, I listen to them on Hoopla. I wanna encourage you. That's a free resource by the library. Okay, great resource. But I'm listening to this book called Dangerous Jesus by KB. KB is a Christian rapper. I may be an anomaly in the room. I like Christian rap. If you don't, that's okay. Um, but KB's name is Kevin Burgess. No relation to Taylor, only by the blood of Jesus, okay? But in this book, uh, he is talking about following a dangerous Jesus. And that there is a Christianity of the land that is much different than Christianity of Christ. And in this, in this book, he gives this illustration of what does it mean for us to be willing, but then have action. And so it's kind of like this. It's as if I make you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. We know everybody loves PB&J, okay? Everybody likes PB&J. So I make you a PB&J sandwich for lunch because I know you didn't bring nothing for lunch. So I make you a PB&J and I bring it to you and I offer it to you only for me to not realize that you're actually allergic to peanuts, and so you're like, thank you, but no thank you. It's the thought that counts. We've all probably heard that before. It's the thought that counts. Y'all, people don't know the thoughts that you have or the willingness that you have until you put it into action. And so just to have a thought like means nothing. 
If we're going to actually show and be obedient, like we have to be obedient for people to see the truth that lies within our hearts. We can't just have hearts. We can't just have willingness. We have to be obedient. It's one thing to say, yes, I will do it if it comes up. But when the moment arises, will I actually step through the door? Our stepping through the door actually reveals our willingness, not vice versa. And so that's where we have to come to this place of, Jesus wasn't calling him to be willing to sell his stuff. He said, go sell it, get rid of it, give it to the poor and come after me. The reality is y'all action speaks. And this leads to the question, if Jesus asked you to give up everything to follow him, would you do it? There's the willingness. Now, if he actually asks you, are you gonna walk through the door? There's the obedience piece to that. See, this man walks away saddened because he valued his possessions more than Jesus. He valued his momentary treasure more than Jesus. And this is where we have to come to remember that everything we have is a gift from God. Everything. James chapter one, verse 17 says this. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Everything that we have is a gift. It's not our own. It was given to us, including the wealth that we have here in our lives today. It is a gift from God. Therefore, why would we not give it away if he asks us to? But not only is it a gift, but it's ultimately God's. We see that in Psalm 50 verses 10 through 12. He says, for every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. Verse 12 really kind of hits me home. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. God doesn't need your stuff. It's already his. It's already his. That means he takes claim on all of it. So when he tells us to give it away, give it away. But not only we see this in the Proverbs, we also see it that wealth is not missed or not just missed in the Psalms, it's also in the Proverbs. Solomon writes this in Proverbs 15, 16. Better is a little, better is to not have much at all with the fear of the Lord than great treble, tre treasure and trouble with it. Have little, but have Jesus have much and have nothing. Proverbs 16, verse eight, one proverb later, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. It's Jesus. To have Jesus is to have all we need. To have the Lord is to have all we need. To follow Jesus is better than having wealth. To have less and have true righteousness is better than having a lot of stuff. You see, Jesus' call is to surrender, namely a call to surrender our treasure. And so let's continue to see what Jesus has to say about this rich young man to his disciples in verses 23 through 30 of chapter 19. He says, and Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with great difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished saying, who then can be saved? 
But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, in the new world, there is a life after this one. In the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you will have followed me. You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or land for my name's sake, make that be a point in the sand. For my name's sake, not for any other reason, but for Jesus's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Our second point for us this morning is that Jesus' call is to the true treasure. Jesus's call is to the true treasure. What that means is that there is a false treasure and there is a real treasure. They are not synonymous. There's a false treasure and a real treasure. And a true treasure is not earthly wealth. True treasure is not earthly wealth. And so let's look at verses 23 through 25 again. He says, and Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished saying, who can be saved? You see, the disciples were hit here with a countercultural truth. That simply because someone had material wealth did not mean they could just do anything. The wealthy had power and those who didn't have power were poor. If someone had money, they could make things happen. But what could they do? With this being the case, Jesus' claim that it is difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God was puzzling. It was baffling for them. But why? Why, Jesus? If we see in our society that people who have money make it happen, then why can't they do this? Why can't they enter the kingdom of God via their wealth? It's because of what we've already stated. It's because to have wealth is to be able to provide for yourself in ways that maybe eliminate your need for God or make it seem as if you don't need God anymore. Be blinded by the wealth. See, Jesus gives us this word picture here that is difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom, much like it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I don't know about y'all, but when I see this, I know it's impossible. I can barely put thread through the eye of a needle, let alone try to fit a camel through it. All right, these big fingers ain't made for sewing. All right, but a camel cannot fit through the eye of a needle. Putting thread through it, man, we can't do it. The disciples had to have been flabbergasted. What in the world, Jesus? Wealth is not everything, which is why, y'all, we cannot put all of our eggs in the basket of financial security because it's a scam of fake joy. Financial security is a scam of fake joy because Jesus is where our true joy is. If we live our lives to be financially stable, we will miss the point. We will miss Jesus. Now this is not saying, hey, go blow your money in crazy ways. The scriptures are filled. Jesus talks about money more than almost anything. It is filled with wisdom. And the wisdom that Jesus is putting out here is that he is more value than our wealth. And we see here that treasure is not what we own on this side of eternity. Matthew chapter six, verses 19 through 21, Jesus says this, 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, our treasure is what we value most. And our heart is revealed by what we chase after, what treasure we go after. See, if our treasure is what we gain here on earth, we are in for a rude awakening because it will not get us or go with us into the next life. We will spend our entire lives chasing something that will give us peril, that will lead us to peril. We will find our treasure and security in the wealth of the land and it will ultimately lead to our destruction. This is what Paul writes to his young apprentice, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Get this, the money ain't the problem. It's the love of money that's the problem. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. See, craving material wealth as our treasure will lead us to all kinds of evil. Evil that we see in how we relate to other people. How do we care for them? Or do we just hoard everything for ourselves? Do we value relationships or only what people can give us and offer us? But ultimately what we see here that Paul writes to Timothy is that many have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Y'all, the worst evil of all is that we distance ourselves from a holy God. It is our love for wealth that will drive us away from the Lord. But not only does Jesus here talk about this, warning the disciples of their love for money and what their true treasure is not, he tells us what their true treasure is. And that's that our true treasure is Jesus himself. Our true treasure is Jesus himself. Not what he can give us, but himself. So let's read again in Matthew 19, verses 26 through 30. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Isn't that not good news? Man, y'all must not have thought that was good news. Golly, that's God's word. That ain't me talking, that's God's word. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit also on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. See, Jesus continues answering the disciples that although salvation is impossible on their own, it is only by the miracle work of God that we are saved. It is a miracle. If he says that entering the kingdom is like a camel going through the eye of a needle, it's impossible for us, but God can do it. He is all powerful. He can make it happen. Our efforts will always fall short of God, but he did a miracle work in saving us. It wasn't, if it wasn't for Jesus' perfect obedience and sacrifice on our behalf, our salvation would still be impossible. Peter then speaks directly to Jesus' words and asks, what will they receive? They've left everything to follow Jesus. And he references the 12 tribes of Israel and them sitting on 12 thrones. 
And we can sit here and we can debate what does that mean that they're gonna judge the 12 tribes of Israel. But the one thing that we really have to get at is that we will be with Christ. That in the life to come, we will be with Jesus, that we are tethered to him. That being with Jesus is our greatest treasure, nothing else. The largest thing that we glean from Jesus' words here is the connectedness that the disciples had to Jesus. That same connectedness that they have because of following him and trusting him is the same connectedness that we have with following Jesus. That we will be with him in the life to come. And this points to the fact that our salvation is secure in Christ because guess what? We didn't earn it, so we can't take away from it. He's the one that did it. It is secure. He holds us fast into eternity. And this is a question that I like to ask our students pretty consistently is this. If God wasn't in heaven, would you be willing to go there still when you die? If God wasn't in heaven, would you still want to go there when you die? If the answer is yes, you have believed a false gospel because the gospel is not about saving you from punishment. The gospel is not fire insurance of, hey, I don't wanna be punished with hell and brimstone and fire and suffer for all of eternity. That's not the point of the gospel. That's a falsehood, but that's a partial gospel. The true gospel not only saves us from wrath of the wrath of God, but it saves us to the personhood of Christ. It saves us to relationship with him, meaning that if when we enter into eternity and our greatest joy is that we're not being punished, then we don't really love Jesus at all. Because loving Jesus is the root of the gospel. Having Jesus is the root of the gospel. Not all these benefits that we can get, not, not being away from him, but having him for eternity is the gospel. It's us, it's the benefits that we have of it. It's to have him. So I hate to break it to you, but if you just said, hey, I don't wanna go to hell, you were scared into saying, hey, I wanna follow Jesus, you need to take a look in the mirror. Because following Jesus ain't about not going somewhere, it's about being with Jesus. And so we have to come to this place of like, if that's where you are, man, we need to still repent of our sin and trust in the true gospel that Jesus has done everything necessary to save you from your sin. Sorry, got to touch up. And y'all, you couldn't do nothing. And our treasure is having him. That's why he points him to, hey, I'm gonna be on my throne and you're gonna come sit with me. As followers of Jesus, we are tethered to him and to be with him is our greatest joy. So to enter into the kingdom is not just like, hey, I'm out of hell free card. It's I get to be with Jesus forever and it is my greatest joy and treasure. We cannot try to follow Jesus to simply be a good person or to escape hell, but rather we see that Jesus is glorified in the saving of our souls, but also in the sanctifying work of following him as he calls us to do. The second thing that we see from this part where he's discussing with his disciples is that we will receive more than we leave. We will receive more than we leave in verse 29. He says, you leave all this stuff, you leave your family, you leave your friends, you leave the land for my name's sake and you will have hundredfold and you will inherit eternal life. That does not say, hey, if you do these good deeds and now you get eternal life, what he's saying is, hey, you're following me from beginning to the end. And so there's benefit. We, we see some of this benefit even here and now. Man, followers of Jesus who have covenanted together in membership at Cross Community Church, we have a brotherhood and sisterhood of believers who walk with us through the fire 
who are there with us, pushing us in the gospel, pointing out sin, helping us repent and turn away from it to live with Jesus, to live with Christ. This is just a glimpse into what eternity will be like. Because there we won't have to worry about sin. There we'll live in perfect unity and harmony here. Like, man, we, we might call out sin, but we may be harsh and be mean. And then it's like, now I gotta repent of that. We have just a small glimpse of what we benefit, of what we will have when we are with him fully. The biggest thing being with Christ, but secondarily, man, we get to be with each other and not have to worry about sin. And we're unified in Jesus. And now let's bring this full circle this morning. I said earlier that Jesus had an encounter with the little kids right before this, right? The little kids come to him eager just to be with him. The disciples try to shoo him away because they're not important. And he's like, nah, come on over here. Come sit with me. And then you have this rich young man who comes up to Jesus, pious and says, what can I do? How can I make this happen for myself? Two very different heart postures, correct? And this is where he finishes at in verse 30. He says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Meaning those who are humble will enter the kingdom. Those who are pious and prideful will not. I wanna remind you of not too long ago, well, it feels like it's probably been about forever ago now, the Sermon on the Mount series. We work through Matthew chapter five and in Matthew chapter three, this is what Jesus says. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who know their neediness and inability to overcome their neediness will enter the kingdom. Why? Because our trust isn't in ourselves, it's in Jesus. It's through faith in his finished work. Therefore, those who will be first will be last and the last will be first. So what does this mean for us today? This means that we surrender to Jesus' call to follow him. First and foremost, that's the laying down of my resume, the laying down of my performance to say, I can't do it. Jesus, you're the only one that can. And so that looks like confession, repentance, belief. I'm gonna confess my sin before God. I'm gonna agree with him that I have egregiously offended him in my disobedience. I'm gonna repent, I'm gonna turn away from my sin and follow after him. And I'm gonna believe that Jesus paid my debt that I owe. And he didn't say dead in a grave, but he rose to new life. That's what surrendering to the call of Jesus is, to follow him is that first simple point. But then secondly, we surrender our earthly treasure to him. We saw it today. It is a gift to us and it is already his. We have to be willing to give him our treasure, whatever that is. This morning, man, we see it in a financial way. How do I leave hands open for God to use what he has given me for his glory and for my good? And then thirdly, we surrender our lives to Jesus. We saw this in the very last part of the text, leaving father, mother, children, lands for the sake of the gospel. If Jesus called you to be a part of the next church plant out of this church plant, would you go or would you just be willing to go? We surrender our entire lives to Jesus. Nothing is off limits to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. God, I thank you for our time in the word. God, I thank you that even in the midst of hard, hard truth, God, Lord, that you're faithful. God, following you is hard. God, you told us to count the cost. 
told us to pick up our cross and follow you. Dying to ourselves in all matters of life, God. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is what do we treasure most? Do we treasure you or do we treasure what you've given us? Have we substituted the creation for the creator? God, convict us. Show us where our true treasure is, that you are our true treasure and that the treasures that we seek here on earth, God, they are pale in comparison. They're nowhere near as glorious. God, let us be like the man who found a treasure in a field and went and sold all that he had to buy that field. Why? Because he found true treasure. So Lord, be with us, help us to see you as the true treasure and we would give everything and anything to follow you. Whatever you ask of us, God, we ask you would make us obedient to you, that we would love you regardless of what you ask us to give away, regardless of what you ask us to sacrifice, regardless of what you ask us to just say, okay, whatever you want, God, is yours. So Lord, we love you. And we pray that that love for you would stir in us this obedience, this willingness and obedience to surrender our treasure to you. This in Jesus' name I pray.